Welcome to the Harvard Center for International Development, or as we call it, Beyond COVID podcast. This is a series of conversations with faculty experts. We discuss various dimensions of COVID response and recovery. Our goal with these conversations and with CID's Beyond COVID research initiative is to use lessons learned and capitalize on innovation sparked by the pandemic to address losses and reimagine global development. My name is Harshwardhan Sahani. I'm a mid-career MPA and Mason Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School and also a CID student ambassador. This week, we are joined by Margaret McConnell or Maggie, Associate Professor of Global Health Economics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. I'm sitting down with her on November 15, 2021 to discuss building and equitable health systems. Maggie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So Maggie, by means of introduction, you describe yourself as an economist who found a home in public health. Can you tell our listeners about that journey and how you landed in this nexus of public health and economics and how that influences your work? Absolutely. Yeah, I I am trained as an economist. So I actually originally started sort of in more philosophy, political theory. I got introduced to economics through the sort of history of economic thought and, you know, questions, really big questions about inequality and equity and the sort of well-being of humans and realized that that economics was a really practical tool for thinking about those big questions. And so I studied, I did a PhD in economics at Caltech and have studied behavioral theoretical economics during that PhD, but I was always really ultimately motivated by really applied questions and, and questions that were really grounded in really practical applications and, you know, uh, most excited about generating evidence that, you know, that would feel relevant for policy or actual practitioners. And so I think for that reason, health is a really good fit. I think specifically, I was also really interested in questions. Uh, My research sits at the nexus between health behavior and a lack of economic opportunity. I started out working actually in, in economic research on questions of microfinance. So this was sort of at a time when, at least in, in sort of policy and uh, NGO settings, there was a lot of excitement and interest in microfinance as a sort of miracle tool for alleviating poverty. And I had worked on some early research projects that economists had been doing in that space. And and, I, and during those projects, I got really interested in health questions because I saw the potential for microfinance to sort of put people in, in you know, in, in a challenging situation for sort of, you know, health. If, if you know, someone is over leveraged on a loan and then they have a health crisis, you know, how do they sort of reconcile those um, dueling objectives? You know, so that was part of how I got interested in health. And I also sort of saw maybe the limitations of microfinance, you know, for people who are living with limited economic resources to, to really transform their situation. And I, I became sort of really interested in health as a good indicator for, you know, household opportunity and well-being. So I, I got really interested in health that way and kind of took this postdoc at Harvard. I took this postdoc at the Center for Population and Development Studies, and it was very much sort of a new area for me. I had been doing research on health in a mostly theoretical way. And, you know, my PhD was was quite sort of theoretical behavioral, uh, but I really loved uh, the interdisciplinary nature of the work. I loved the challenge of figuring out what 
health people do, how they're different from economists, and the sort of collaboration with, you know, actual doctors with real, you know, medical and, you know, content area expertise was really stimulating and challenging. And so even though it was a bit of a leap for me from my training to join a school of public health, I have really enjoyed the experience and, and sort of grown from the challenge of doing inter interdisciplinary work, which quite far in some cases from my original training. Thank you very much for that, Maggie. What, what an interesting journey. And indeed, I am myself reflecting how COVID has taught us that we can stop studying things in silo. Everything is affecting everything. Health is affecting well-being economically. Economic well-being is deciding your access to health and whatnot. But if I can get back to you, during the pandemic, you, I learn, have been looking at the impact and policy response in countries like Mozambique and Kenya. Uh, could you share some observations on impact and response with respect to resilient equitable health systems in these geographies? Yeah, so specifically in, in Mozambique, I, I have a long-standing collaboration with several collaborators, um, in, including a colleague, Sandra Siqueira, from the London School, who's uh, the chief economist for the IGC in, in Mozambique, International Growth Center, and then a, a long-standing collaboration with colleagues at the National Institute of Statistics in Mozambique, so embedded in the Ministry of Health. And we've been working together for a long time on sort of innovations to improve the patient side experience of healthcare. So essentially innovations to kind of make the healthcare system more patient-centered. And so the, the primary focus of that work has always been trying to address the, the sort of neglected challenge of, you know, the, the convenience of seeking care, essentially. So the, the sort of motivation of that work has always been for many key healthcare services in, in low-income settings, the health system is designed to deliver care by having, um, you know, patients or individuals seeking care queue for service, so wait in line for service. And so sometimes that means you might wait in line for several hours for an antenatal care appointment or to pick up an HIV medication that only takes five, 10 minutes, the actual health service, but you spend you know, hours of a good chunk of your day waiting for, for the service. So obviously the, the consequence of that for patients might be that you know, it's not as easy to go and seek care and, and you know, potentially this, this could lead to sort of less utilization of care or delays in care seeking. Th those are sort of more hypotheses than, than facts. I think that the sort of impact and the consequence of these long waiting times isn't fully understood in the literature. And so the, the sort of ministry and health systems interest in this work is trying to improve the sort of resilience of, of healthcare, uh, and which is, I think, one of our research questions as well. But I'm also sort of interested in this collaboration and exploring how much does that inconvenience and that hassle and the lost time of seeking care contribute to willingness to seek care in the future. So this, this is a longstanding collaboration and the, the intervention that we've designed to improve, co-designed very much with these partners is, um, is really simple. It's about as simple as, as you can get, which is just the scheduling of care. So giving a, a sort of appointment to come back on a specific date and a specific time with a promise to be seen within a reasonable amount of time. So instead of queuing for service, you come back at a specific time and in principle, you're seen relatively quickly and you, know, you can go about your day. So we'd been pursuing this intervention for you know many years prior to the pandemic, but I think the the pandemic, especially sort of in the beginning of the pandemic, 
you know, obviously really upended everything about, you know, the way that healthcare was delivered. And there are a lot of concerns about the sort of crowding of public health facilities and the implication for the spread of COVID. So this sort of research definitely took on a new urgent tone. You know, initially when I think a lot of researchers have had the experience of COVID changing the question, but also making some in-person research more possible. So, you know, two things happened essentially at the same time. One was there, you know, there, there became this sort of urgent need to reorganize care or think about ways to deliver care that was less likely to put people at risk of transmission or, you know, a sort of increased transmission of COVID and, and to sort of encourage utilization of care, even while going to health centers might, might have been sort of less, less attractive or more worrisome because of COVID um, if, you, if you were not um, otherwise feeling like you needed care. So there's sort of the policy objective to, to reorganize care in response to COVID, but also the research challenge where data collection and everything about doing research in the context of a pandemic is more challenging. So there was sort of this huge push to, okay, let's go, let's go with this intervention now. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that we were able to layer on some rigorous research at the same time. So sort of there was a kind of redesign of how fast to go in with the actual intervention scale up at the same time that there was a sort of big redesign of how to do the data collection in the context of COVID in a safe way and what kinds of things could be adapted to phone interviews and, and sort of that, that juggle kind of proceeded at the same time. Thanks, Maggie. We would love to hear if there are any instances or examples uh, from the field during your work that radically shifted what you had set out to do with respect to health systems, if something comes to mind. I think certainly seeing and, and talking to, to people and observing care is for me, a critical part of how I generate some hypotheses and certainly a challenge in the pandemic has been sort of having, uh, having less ability to travel. I, I think one of the sort of research areas that I'm especially interested in is postpartum care and, you know, what happens to what happens to women and how closely are they monitored in the period immediately after uh, having a baby and, and sort of prior to hospital discharge. And, and I think one of the reasons that I'm especially interested in, in that area is, is, you know, a combination of my own experience having a baby and then observing maternity wards. I think there's this sort of shared trend where after a woman has a baby, there's kind of a lot of focus on the baby and less, less on mom. And, and so, you know, I, I, I see that in different ways. I remember visiting a maternity ward in Kenya and and, you know, there was a lot of moms hanging out with really cute newborns, <laughs> but the sort of nurses were over in a different area. And so, you know, you can sort of see how if there was a problem, it's not clear, how, you know, how quickly it would be identified. You know, and I think that sort of echoes with the experience of postpartum care in, in a lot of settings where even though there is sort of still a lot of uh, risk to moms in the sort of post-delivery period, there's not nearly as much attention from the sort of clinical and medical staff. So, you know, I think that I have a few projects that are related to this sort of postpartum period. I'm working with Jessica Cohen, who's my fabulous colleague at the School of Public Health on sort of understanding, this is also in Kenya, we observe that providers don't do much postpartum monitoring of patients. And so first is sort of documenting that, you know, for example, there's not many checks, blood pressure checks, check for bleeding. Um, and then that what we're trying to do in the work that, that we've been developing is sort of explore why that is. So is it, does it have to do with sort of biased beliefs of providers? Is, is there a sense that postpartum hemorrhage, for example, is not very common? We've been sort of exploring possible behavioral hypotheses for, for you know, what is that drives providers who are, you know, otherwise driven to the practice of maternity care because 
they want to serve you know the health of women and you know who are incredibly dedicated and hardworking in very challenging situations but just trying to unpack and understand the sort of limited postpartum monitoring that we see in that context thank you very much maggie and yeah drawing that link between uh, covid and routine health services first cut of our imagination one only thinks of people infected but the truth is many people were infected and all of us were affected and your example of uh, maternal health if i can just prod you a little more and ask for some observations or stories on how the pandemic affected maternal health with respect to health systems and the geographies you study yeah it's a great question and i think that we're going to be unpacking that for many years <laughs> so and i think we're you know there's a lot of really great research on how the impact of the pandemic has impacted you know care seeking i think there's been a lot of you know questions around you know will the pandemic really what kind of care seeking will the pandemic sort of alter and i think that the answer to that question really depends on the context you know the, in terms of my research on maternal health and and how sort of covid has affected the work i think we are sort of pursuing some interventions that have to do with improving the quality of care through provider mentoring so i've always i've been interested for a long time in the sort of improvement of maternal health outcomes and a lot of my sort of earlier work in maternal health in you know in the context of kenya and other places has focused on interventions to improve the utilization of high quality care but i think i've become much more interested lately in in sort of in the last few years about how to change sort of how provi the provider delivery of care individuals can only do so much to improve their own outcomes if the sort of care that's being offered to them is not generally of, of high quality and so the sort of work that i've been doing in kenya with a longtime collaborator jack randa health who runs a maternity clinic has to do with you know training providers on emergency obstetric care um you know providing sort of supportive um mentoring and facilitating improved quality of care and i think that you know one of the remarkable things is that people even in a pandemic continue to have babies and continue to need maternity care you know continue to go to hospitals to deliver babies and you know i think that finding a way to deliver high quality care in the context of you know these challenges is is important and and not necessarily the only challenge that countries have faced when continuing to deliver high quality maternal care so you know the i think for example in the work that i've done in kenya we've seen care be affected by strikes by you know other challenges i think one of the things that has become really obvious from the pandemic is the strain that healthcare providers are under so you know that has been certainly exacerbated by the pandemic and other work that i've been doing we've been exploring the impact of sort of delays in provider payment so uh, if you don't get paid over the course of several months for the work that you're doing you know in, even in the best of times this you can imagine this doesn't create an ideal working environment but in the context of covid that's of course you know an even bigger challenge and so i think even prior to the pandemic you know health systems have struggled with you know retaining and and supporting you know the work of healthcare providers and those challenges are certainly much more difficult i think because of the pandemic thanks maggie indeed the challenges are immense and would take probably a lifetime of unpacking if not more however amid all of this adversity there was a lot of inspiration health systems globally pivoted to respond to the need that no one saw coming 
And there are lessons there, there are innovations there, and that is the sort of thing that CID is also very interested in. Could you share some examples of key learnings and innovations you witnessed and ones that will be valuable to build equitable, resilient health systems? Yes, sure. Yeah, I know. I think there's been a tremendous amount of innovation. I think one area that I've been doing some research on that is related to the pandemic has to do with sort of digital health and digital payments in the healthcare sphere. So I think there's sort of an explosion of interest and activity around, you know, improving and modernizing the process uh, by which people are paid. Everything, and this, of course, economists have studied this in many spheres, but it, it's been maybe slower to come to the health sphere. You know, so lots of economists have been doing terrific research on sort of pay, digitization of payments and, you know, in other sectors, education and sort of social services. But in the health sphere, I think the pandemic has really accelerated some of that work. So everything from how does a community health worker document the work that they're doing, receive approvals that, that they indeed did that work and actually get the money that they're owed and, and you know and paid. So I think some of the the work that I've been doing during the pandemic has been establishing sort of the challenges that exist there and, and also documenting the the kind of explosion of interest and activity around you know alternative options for payment. Um, so one example of that is the the work that the WHO has been doing with digitizing payments to polio workers, which was very much, I think, accelerated by the pandemic and has really taken off in a in a very interesting way and, and sort of scaled up in many, many countries at this point. And so we've been doing some some sort of just evaluation tracking work, and there's a lot to learn from those efforts. Thank you very much, Maggie. Indeed, so much got done and accelerated and came forward. And I think health providers and governments are just part of uh, who these lessons forward. Our listeners include students, academics, doctors, policymakers, all of these people, all of us access different points, and all of us have a role in applying lessons from this pandemic. What message do you have for our listeners to build resilient, equitable health systems? How can we do our bit? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, it seems to me that everyone sort of I think there is this increasing recognition of the role of the health system in delivering, you know, high quality care and, and supporting that system to improve. You know, as a behavioral scientist or someone who thinks about human behavior a lot, I, I guess I would sort of make a, you know, a plug for thinking about the behaviors of the key actors in the system. So, you know, if you want a patient to perfectly adhere to certain recommendations, how do you make it easier for them to do that? You know, I think there's a lot of interest in improving the quality of care. I think that, that you know, um, sometimes that means reorganizing the system, changing the incentives, I think all of which are obviously very important. But I think sort of understanding the behavior of health workers is an area where, you know, we we, we need more evidence, you know, how, how do health providers make decisions? What is the best way to sort of support them in delivering high quality care? Since ultimately that we're unlikely to see some of the improvements in the quality of healthcare without sort of working with those healthcare providers. Thank you very much, Maggie. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. And our listeners, thank you for tuning in. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and our Beyond COVID initiative at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back soon.